Welcome to the Lighting Your Way podcast. This season, our sixth, we're talking to my colleagues at Guardian Nurses about how they help our patients navigate a very complex and confusing healthcare maze. At the end of each episode, you'll hear their suggestion as to how you can become an advocate for yourself and your loved ones. Among the plethora of clinical issues that our nurse advocates deal with on a daily basis are patients who have mental health and substance use issues. One of our nurses in Seattle, Samuel Hurst, has an extensive background in supporting these patients. We talk with him today to better understand the type of support that he offers. Good morning, Sam. This is uh, your first opportunity to be on the podcast. Welcome to the Lighting Your Way podcast. Hey, Betty. Great to be here. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for getting up early, first of all, because I know... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I know it's three hour time difference. So I appreciate your, your effort. Um, Sam, you are um, one of the nurses on our uh, sound health and wellness trust team, our mobile care team, but um, you specialize in helping our patients out there with mental health or substance use uh, issues. So I, I wanted to bring you on um to talk specifically about the work that you do with those patients. So can you tell us, um, you know, tell us what, what that day looks like for you? Usually um, the way we get the patient referrals depends on what stage that patient happens to be in, in their search for um, drug and alcohol recovery or mental health recovery. So if they're inside the hospital, usually it's trying to connect with the social workers there, the case managers to ensure that they have an adequate discharge plan in place um, or what's called a RAP plan, which is a wellness recovery and action plan. And if they are making a direct call to guardian nurses, most of the care coordination it involves just trying to figure out, okay, where do you live? What type of resources are you looking for? Is it specific to actual drug and alcohol treatment? Or are you just looking for a counselor or a mental health professional to help kind of guide you through the process? And it can be anything from setting them up with uh, an acute detox bed, just helping coordinate with case managers from you know all over the West Coast, really, to get them into a treatment center that fits with uh, their finances and their ability to enter a treatment program. Wow. So that has got to be one of the, probably the most challenging is to find an appropriate detox, right? Is that true? Yes. Yep. Yeah. And, and all the, all the patients that you work with are insured. So that's hopefully, you know, yeah, that helps a little bit. But are you finding that when you call the hospital to talk to, or a facility to talk with uh, a case manager or a social worker that they're receptive to your call? It really depends if I'm, you know, engaged with the patient prior to them going into a treatment facility. It's a lot easier. But once they're already there, the privacy laws are set up in such a way that they're not really allowed to communicate that the patient is even at the facility. So um, it's a lot of kind of back channel navigation with connecting with maybe their family first to see if they can call them in the treatment facility so that we can help, you know, um, transition them back to, um, you know, general living once they're out of the the treatment program or hospital setting. Do do you feel like there's mostly the, 
the patients that you deal with are are they I know that they can be dual diagnosis, but where yeah. do most of the referrals come from? Are they mental health or are they substance use? I would say 50-50. There's been a handful. Um, you know, they like you said, they go hand in hand. So right. it, it's hard to really get down to the the final diagnosis when, you know, a lot of the behaviors and, and symptoms can possibly be attributed to both, if that makes right. sense. Right. No, no, absolutely. I think that's what we self-medicating, right? That's what we call right. that. Um, is, Sam, is there anything unique about Seattle in terms of uh, patients using drugs or the drugs that they're using? Like I, I know you and I talked when you were out here recently about the um, what we're seeing in Philadelphia, which is the use of Trank on yeah. the streets. Um, is, is there, is Trank, has Trank hit Seattle? Yes. Yeah. Uh -huh. And um, it's hard to figure out whether or not it's actually in the drugs. I've, I've spoken to a few people at the uh, jobs that I previously held just to get an idea of the amount that they're seeing. And just anecdotally, they're when they've started testing uh, the the urines of patients who are coming in, they're finding maybe 10 to 20 percent are testing positive for Trank, mm. uh, which is xylazine, which is a veterinary alpha-2 agonist, um, which, you know, is causing a lot of issues out here as well. It ends up uh, leading to a lot of skin issues. But right. the main thing is the, the withdrawal. So if you're, you know, coming off of a, a lipophilic opioid-like fentanyl that also contains this alpha-2 agonist like xylazine, and you're trying to treat the opioid withdrawal with, you know, a an alpha-2 agonist that you would typically be used for, for opiate withdrawal, um, it can become a, you know, an issue. So it's trying to treat the acute withdrawal process is becoming a lot more challenging as well. Wow. So this is, Trank is xylazine, which is, you said it's an animal tranquilizer? Yeah, it's a, it's a is... veteran. It's like the veterinary version of Presidex, which is a, um, a sedation medication used in the hospital setting in the ICU. Wow. So the the um, the drugs that patients are not patients the people are using uh, is laced with trank. It's not necessarily full trank. Well, I I think probably a little bit of both. It's hard to tell, but yeah, I think the majority of it just gets laced with it, um, and so it's hard. Yeah, they, I think they added it in to extend the amount of time of the high, because fentanyl in and of itself, the reason why it's preferred in the hospital setting is because of those lipophilic properties. So it's a enters the brain really quickly and leaves the brain really quickly. So, which is why patients end up having to use um, the opioid fentanyl, you know, every, every hour, every two hours to maintain that sense of well-being and normalcy. Wow. I know that the, um, the media reports here in Philly on that, and certainly uh, in New York as well, uh, it's a pretty uh, compelling uh, look on the streets of somebody bent over kind of out right. of it. Yeah. yeah. A um, lot of methamphetamine out here as well. Um, okay. Yeah. Which is interesting. There's a, at the beginning of this year, a physician of the Providence hospital in Everett in the ER um, participated in a drug trial for a monoclonal antibody specifically to target methamphetamine, which I thought was pretty cool. And there's some wow. promising, 
developments with that. Yeah, so they, if somebody comes in in acute psychosis, they're able to give them this monoclonal antibody treatment and basically get them back to a normal state within just wow. 30 to 60 minutes. Um, wow. I haven't followed up to see what the results of the trial are, but, you know, the, the, the length of time that it stays in the person's system can be upwards of 30 days. So it minimizes the risk for, uh, you know, relapse and um, kind of gives them a bit of hope to find housing later on. Do, do you feel, I mean, certainly there's been more attention in the last couple of years uh, toward mental health because of COVID, but yeah. with drug use and substance use disorder, there, there seems like, for instance, what you're talking about a clinical trial is, is there more energy going into the type of treatments that we're seeing as opposed to just blaming the patient and, you know, letting them detox on their own? Uh, that's hard to say. I think there's always new stuff coming up, but it all comes down to, you know, the funding aspect. And I think yeah. in general, it's just, you know, there's not enough money in the world to throw at research to um, help. Cause I, you know, again, the money aspect and then the resources with, you know, healthcare professionals and nurses that understand it, but that can also tolerate the, the day-to-day trials of working with, you know, a population that's at their lowest. So it's, if you can right. find a provider or nurses that have a heart for this population, that's, I think, um, you know, would be a big help as well. True, true. So, Sam, you um, you also deal with uh, support our medical cases, if you will, besides the substance use and mental health. Yeah. When you're dealing with patients who, you know, I want to say just have a, <laughs> you know, a medical clinical issue, right. um, are, are you seeing more of those patients needing mental health support post-COVID? <laughs> Yes and no. It's, you know, I think if it's a, a critical diagnosis, obviously there's going to be some some fear and um, some depression that might go along with that or anxiety in general. But a lot of the times, you know, they're, they're so caught up with the immediate treatment for, you know, maybe a new cancer diagnosis that it's not until, you know, a few months after that, that you're wanting to try to help them um, get to see a therapist or, Know, figuring out when the right time is to maybe bring it up. But, you know, of course, if they're asking directly, it's easy because you can just help them right there. But, right. you know, establish, establishing a relationship with a particular member and then, um, yeah, just kind of seeing where their head's at in general. But, yeah, yeah, anytime they ask, it's, you know, the, the first thing you want to do is try to get them the help they need. Yeah, which is not always that easy, right? I mean, given what, you know, the, the challenges of the funding and challenges of availability of the pri of the providers. That, yes. That's, I know out here on the East Coast, that is one of the most, the greatest challenges to find someone who participates with the insurance, who is accepting new patients, and you could get them in to be seen within six months. You know, that's right, right. the biggest challenge. So how, how are you feeling in general about, I'll say the state of healthcare as it pertains to uh, mental health and substance use. Do you feel like it's, I mean, you've been in it, the field for a while. So give me a yeah, sense. Yeah. Of... I mean, every week is different. You know, there's some weeks where I can hit a home run and get somebody what they need really quick. And other weeks it's, it's 
remains challenging because you're trying to do a lot of this navigation from different counties um, and then patients have their own lives of their own you know socioeconomic struggles or mental health struggles so it's just a lot of challenges but um, it, it's it's definitely worth it when you're able to get people what they need um, yeah you know with the oh. time yeah, I mean, I've always said, uh, while healthcare in general is is difficult to navigate, mental health and substance use is even worse, right? Because yeah. I, I call it the black hole. Um, it is not easy for the for all the reasons that we've mentioned. So, what like when you think about the the number of people that you've helped in the course of the last, well, the last year with guardian nurses, but also prior, is there any one case that stands out to you? I don't know if there's a particular case, but I mean, there, there's definitely been cases back um, in my detox days where we'd have patients show up in an Uber and they'd overdose in front of our building and we'd have to run codes. And when you were able to get them to the hospital um, and they're able to come back and finish their, their detox within five days, um, those are always home wow. runs to know that they're yeah, getting into treatment and living to see another day. Or when uh, I get calls for patients in crisis that, um, you know, often they don't know what's really going on. They're, they're, you know, in their mind, thinking that they're losing their mind and their family who's unfamiliar with just mental health in general, let's say it's an acute manic episode. It's a lot of conversation with the family to just say, Hey, there's probably a lot more going on with your, your family member that you're not seeing. And it's just one of these things that you have to encourage them and support them and make sure that the entire family unit's kind of on board with what's going on. Similar to, I guess, a cancer diagnosis because it obviously right. affects everyone. In a, in a pie in the sky type of thing, Sam, what, what, and I know there's a lot of tricks and, and tricks of the trade that you have, but if you were, you know, the, the king of the world, what one benefit would you like to see offered to patients without regard to insurance as it relates to your specialty? Um, I think if insurances would pay for longer detoxes, I know for, private insurance there's ways to get concurrent reviews where they can you know push out the uh the length of time for the withdrawal with state funding they they have this number five days is it and like with uh with fentanyl you know they're not really hitting their peak withdrawals until maybe day four or day five so i think just in general if patients are really wanting to recover if there could be you know, blank checks for six months programs and then um, getting patients back into society to where they're able to make those connections in such a way with other people that, um, you know, they, they essentially don't want to go back. Because I think part of the issue with, with recovery from drug and alcohol substance use disorder is you can get through the acute withdrawal stage and you get the... You, they'll end up feeling really well for the first few months after that, but it's really the remodeling of the brain and that limbic system beyond that, you know, maybe 28 day program that people are, are traditionally uh, prescribed. If they can get to a point where they're feeling comfortable back in normal society, 
you know, so getting him in a program for that six months, maybe a year, but then along with that too, you, you get uh, people wanting to get back to work and reestablishing their, their lives. And so they don't often want to, to go away for that six to 12 months. So I, I think if they're younger, if they're in their teens, early twenties, that would be one benefit just saying, Hey, let's mm. make programs that are a year long um, and then really surround them and, and figure out uh, how to get them back home after that, that 12 months. Oof. That's uh, well, I, I hope that that does at some point, at least five days does seem really short, right? Yeah. To, to detox and then to, yeah, five days is really short. Sam, what's, do you remember if you can, what, what, how old was the youngest patient that you ever helped? Um, just out of yeah, curiosity. 18. 18. Okay. Yeah. I was just, I mean, I know it's happening a lot sooner. Um, these days it's a lot more available. Yeah. Um, there are so many questions that, that I would like to ask, but I want to keep on time. But, but um, I do want to ask you if, you know, for our listeners who might have someone in their lives with mental health or substance use issues, it, what is the, if there is, or you can have two, what is the one piece of advice that you would offer them? The opposite of addiction is connection. And if you can surround those people when they're at their lowest and let them know that they're worthy of love and deeper connection with other people um, and that their behaviors in and of themselves, you know, won't be held against them. I think mm -hmm. that would allow for a lot of recovery. Wow. Wow. That, that could be used for anything. That's, that's yeah. wonderful. Right. I mean, I, certainly I, I appreciate the opposite of addiction is connection. Yeah. Wow. Well thought. Well put, Sam. Well Thank put. Um, so that's all the time we have. And I'm sorry for that because I think this is probably a lengthier discussion, but there's an opportunity for you to come back now. All right. <laughs> so thank you, Sam, for joining me and for having this important conversation. And I, I really appreciate your perspective on the work yeah. that you do. Thank you for all the help that you provide our patients. Well, thank you so much, Betty. I enjoyed it. If you have any questions that you would like us to address in a future episode, please email us at podcast at guardiannurses.com. That email again is podcast at guardiannurses.com. We would love to hear from you. Thank you for joining us this week. You can find the Lighting Your Way podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google, YouTube, Spotify, and Stitcher. If you liked what you heard, tell a friend and leave us a review. You can learn all about Guardian Nurses Healthcare Advocates on our website, guardiannurses.com. So until next time, Find some joy in your life, pet all the good doggies and kitties, and remember to tell your people that you love them. Take care.